Hello and welcome to my new podcast. Are we nearly there yet? I'm Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on an adventure. The first day of going to work was, um, one, did I look good? Have I got the right suit on? Uh, when will I get the car parking space in my own office? I was very career hungry at that point and wanting to impress. Today I'm talking to Victoria Heron, Vice President of Marketing Communications at the UK's National Nuclear Laboratory. Victoria is married to Garvin and they live in Halifax. Victoria, it's lovely to see you. How are you? I'm very well this afternoon, thank you. Good, good. Well, thanks very much for joining us um, in this period of lockdown and Zoom. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I was really interested in, in the early stages of your sort of training when you went to university and did a couple of diplomas. You were focusing on marketing, which seems to have just been a thread that's run all the way through your career. So you decided on this very early. How did that come about? I try not to think it's connected with how many things I consume and purchase as an individual, but I think there definitely is a connection. Being advertising obsessed, I think, from quite a young age, brand, design, how people try and make me do things or, or make my behaviour change, it was in there. So was in the sixth form days, I guess, way back, I decided I probably wanted to work in advertising. That meant marketing for me and very few um, degrees at that time in marketing. But the University of Wales had, had created an economics and marketing degree. Um, so that seemed the one for me. Slightly on the academic side, I thought I'd be doing advertising design and, and all the glamorous stuff. But if you don't know your basics, of audience segmentation, statistics, uh, commercial law, then you can't proceed. So yeah, it was a really conscious decision to do marketing from a um, brand consumerism world that, that I really enjoy. Yes, that's, that's, that's interesting. And, and you went through that and then you did a diploma at Huddersfield and then uh, a diploma in marketing at Manchester Met. And then you started work at the Department for Work and Pensions as the deputy head of Marcoms. And just sort of taking you back to that time, tell, tell us about your first day in that job and you transitioned out of those diplomas and you'd started this first job at, at the Department for Work and Pensions. How did you feel and what were your sort of first impressions? Probably, I think the, the, the timeline of, of what qualifications and first jobs might be sort of a bit out of sync, really, because I was well on my way, really, at the DWP. I think while I was doing additional diplomas to enhance my qualifications, I was actually in full-time work. So actually, the very first time I put on the suit officially, as it was um, the trend to do way back then, I consider my first time walking in on a fixed payroll would be working for the National Health Service uh, as a, a graduate management trainee. And I remember the first day of going to work was, one, did I look good? Have I got the right suit on? Uh, when will I get the car parking space in my own office? I was very career hungry at that point and wanting to impress. I have to say, entering the health service was probably a shock. The diversity, the seriousness, the importance of the job. And on that first day, actually, I think it was 
far better for me than walking into an office to walk into a hospital mm. and realize the enormity of what that environment is and you were then part of it you were actually part of the machine I felt quite humbled but I wouldn't have known what that word was then it kind of calmed me down a little bit from my sort of suited and booted I'm ready for my career it mm. kind of humbled me into realizing I didn't know a lot about anything really in the real world and I needed to listen to these very experienced people and be a trainee so yes you will take the minutes at a meeting yes you will have to do cash handling and boring tasks you are not yet the chief executive Oh, <laughs> um, trust. I think it was that reflection. I, I can visually remember the corridor that I walked down to find my boss in an office and knocking on the door as a trolley went past with somebody going to maybe theatre or whatever and thinking, whoa, this isn't like the office jobs I've had for a few quid. It brings you down to earth, doesn't it? And that sense of starting going in and sometimes feeling that you know everything because you've you've done the degree or whatever but then when you start and you realize almost how little you know and how or how much more there is to learn it's it's a it's a sobering experience isn't it yes and I have got you know I did a few stints in different hospitals then on on a as a trainee and then been acting asking to be acting in a management role which was scary, but I accepted the challenge. Always an important thing to do, accept the mm. challenge. Me, an acting business manager at 23, what, how could I manage bed numbers and outpatient numbers? But I was tasked to do it. And I went to various different hospital trusts. And it, it was interesting that, you know, you're having to take opportunities when they arise. And I wasn't doing marketing at that time. I was a trainee. Right. Um, I needed a job. I got a job, but I felt very at home in that environment. Going forward, we might speak about this, but far more at home in service orientation than I have done when I've been in commercially hungry organisations such as Capita. So tell me about then the transition into the Department for Work and Pensions. Was that an opportunity that you you saw in the, in the paper or, or, or how did that happen? And why why did you make the decision to leave what you were doing and to move into that in your career you know you know professionally from either from a science point of view or from as a marketeer or an accountant there is stigmas associated with what you know the environment you work in public sector versus fast moving they call it fmcg you know fast moving consumer goods in marketing mm. if you and if i've been in the nhs then already put a stigma on me that I was not destined for commercial marketing, right. uh, which was a, a challenge because if you remember, I was very interested in advertising and wanting to get into that field. It was an odd thing to find myself in DWP, but that little little journey, as they describe it, you're in the health service. I then had a quick jump to work for, there's a uniform trend here, Andrew, listen <laughs> out. I went from the health service. I then went to the police to be the first marketing manager in, in, this, in the UK, actually. Right. Went to the army as their marketing manager, recruiting soldiers. Um, but all public service. An unfortunate opportunity arose where the army were outsourcing all their recruiting to external advertising agencies. Guess right. which character then muscled her way into one of the contracts, was employed by an, you know, an international advertising agency. Yes. Got that badge of honour, which then in Whitehall at DWP, when I applied for the job, which I saw online, mm. because I'd got commercial advertising experience, Whitehall wanted me. They were not impressed by the health service, no. the police or the army. 
they were attracted by the fact that I'd come from the more sexier side of advertising and it got me the job. And I, there I was sitting in the, the government department, largest there is, I think, in the UK, yes. um, about 600 communicators in there working uh, you know, as deputy head of marketing. And then my career progressed in there. Whitehall was a beast. You know, it, it was unfamiliar territory. It's process driven. But again, you're in service. You're on a mission. Yes. I'll say this before you ask me another question, because it's so important to my career. Mm-hmm best marketing I will have ever done in my life because you are publicly accountable spending taxpayers money and I had to justify every piece of expenditure so if we spent 10 million pound making an advertising campaign to encourage you to save for your pension I had to prove that the research had been done the stakeholders had been engaged the ministers were happy the TV adverts were actually valued for money and were tendered appropriately commercially because at any one time, anybody could ask me to prove why I had spent the money from a parliamentary question yes, or, or an FOI. So it was textbook. It was like being right back at university, played your role fully as a marketeer. It's, it sounds like it, it stretched you in different ways compared with what you were doing before. How meticulous you had to be to be absolutely convinced about yourself, about every aspect of what you were doing so you could as you say defend it if you need to or make the case for the funding to actually uh, do the campaign itself absolutely it'd been different in an advertising world Andrew if the MD of the company I was doing an advertising campaign for even as a company like you'll be familiar with like Greg's working with them if the manager who was funding the campaign liked pink in the advert even though the research said it should be green he or she it pink in government so if the research said that the audiences will respond well to this voiceover to a tv ad but i didn't like it that's irrelevant if the minister didn't like it i had to fight really hard to tell him or her that my research that has been done is saying yes. this is what has to be produced it stretched me beyond measure and i had some phenomenal support in there and i would if anybody said Oh, you worked in government marketing. Mm, that's not very good, is it? I say, well, I challenge you back. I've done both, you know, private and public sector. And public sector, at government, absolutely the best you will see. That's really interesting. It sounds like you were stretching yourself or the job was stretching in lots of different ways. What did you learn about yourself as a person in those early roles in, in, in your career, do you think? I think as a person, I'm not sure I was a reflector until that golden age they talk about of 40. I criticised myself a lot up to that point, always feeling, you know, am I good enough? But I think that's a trait that many of us feel, and I can handle that more effectively. But about myself, I suppose I recognised, and I couldn't call it this at the time, how, um, you know, I would say affable. By working (laughs) and listening to people, rather than always having my own agenda, I was being quite successful. Yes. It wasn't about what I wanted. I actually wanted to listen, I realised. And I was curious about everybody and anything. The plethora of work people would ask me to do was always quite surprising or be invited to what project. Mm-hmm. And I think with hindsight, because my listening skills, my, the time that I would give people, albeit I was quite young and inexperienced, I enjoyed listening to them. Yes. Then I would become a problem solver for them or somebody they would like to bring issues to. Um, and I think that's the privilege you have working in comms 
Yes. People do come and sort of confide in you about the challenges they've got in the workplace, how their projects may not be going to plan. Yes. And everybody wants to comes everything out. So I realised that actually I was successful possibly. And had I, I never had a long tenure by choice. I didn't no. really do very long anywhere. But I was a good listener. And, and that actually rewarded me in making many friends on yes. the job. I've got many, many friends from all these jobs that I've had. And it made me attractive to my employer. Let's ask Vic to do this. And my career started to gather momentum. So, yeah, from that day one, Andrew, I've been in the suit wondering when my own office and car parking space might arrive. (laughs) And NHS kind of going, "Mm, it's bigger than you. It put me down and put me in my place a little bit. And that probably did me... A lot of good because my career is now dependent on people, relationships, and I kind of naturally always sit in somebody else's shoes. I can't help myself. (laughs) It's really interesting, isn't it, how dependent your your career and uh, at one time, but also the development is dependent on people and your interactions with people, not just in uh, your own area. But I mean, for you, interacting across organisations, as you as you say, and building relationships with all sorts of people. Oh yes, is yeah. is yeah, I think that's the case for for most jobs actually. Maybe not as obviously or as as clearly, but people, and you know, being able to work and interact, and as you say, listen and understand people, is a real skill, uh, you know, to have and a strength really for you, isn't it? Yeah, and I think in my role especially the word requirement didn't come to me Uh, it was kind of a grown-up word that I acquired through a lot of project management Mm -hmm. Um, I had an an amazing boss at DWP in later years who who now is the senior vice president of of marketing at Unilever you know you Mm -hmm. knew he was you know high caliber from the minute you met her and it was all about the brief what's the requirement yes professionally if I don't ask that a million times and understand what you want from me you'll not get the best marketing or communications results. No, um, no. So that goes back to listening, investing the time, challenging your client, if you want to call them that. And I probably would apply that to life if you are my friend as well. You know, I'll, I'll probably not just always accept what you tell me. I might have a little <laughs> of you on uh, what you've said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So thinking about people then, often when you, you look at your career, there are some sort of key people who have an impact on your journey as it were who who would be the, the the one or two people that you think really made a difference to you as a person and helped you find the right thing for you to do I think in the the, the work journey I think we'll always have it even when you've been in your career three years will be people bosses you want to who you mm-hmm. think never like to be like them so I had a number of of interactions where I've had bosses who I wouldn't want to be like. So it can work in the yeah. reverse. Um, I've had a lot of respect for them, but I know style-wise I wouldn't want to be like them. And I learned from that as I went along. But I think I would have to go back to my boss in Whitehall, who was just an inspiration on a personal level, be very honest, was not the most affable character. But professionally, I saw somebody there who was able to put uh, marketing and communications on an equal footing with legal and finance when it mm. was seen as second fiddle. Yes. Um, yes. She got equal pegging in the biggest government department. She became a director general. She showed us how to have confidence in what we delivered. 
uh, be proud of what you do and realise it's as important as the policy that the policymakers want to issue will not make the, it won't go to the audience if it hasn't got the right marketing and communications. No. So be proud. And she was somebody who I learned a lot from because of her tenacity her demands for proper requirements and briefs and the thoroughness. She's naturally gifted. She's a very intelligent mm. lady as well. And, and as I said, we're very different styles, but you will certainly find if you work with me now and you're one of my teams, you hear the word, what's the brief? What's the requirement? And you will always hear me say, you know, we are even to any other function in this organisation. Mm. Do you never feel like you're, you're just the comms team. No. You're a key no. contributor. So she, she, she was... Um, hugely significant and fortunately or unfortunately have had more poor experience of management than I've had good <laughs> but I think that's made me better a little bit stronger yes I think I think you're right I think you you do always learn from different people you work with and work for don't you and, and as you say some of them you you think and there's people I think of who I just think are the best person I ever worked for and part of it was that exactly sort of what you were saying trusting you and saying what you're doing is really important and that gives you confidence so as you look at your career is there one event that you can look back on that made a sort of step change that time in the civil service was obviously huge for me it's the longest I've ever worked anywhere which was eight years uh, which was but I had three different jobs that's that's the key that's why I stayed on Mm. they had an opportunity this was a step change piece they said, would anybody like to take voluntary redundancy? Right. So why, why wow. would I do that? Ooh, how much money do we get was the question. Mm, yeah. okay, yeah. Not bad. I'm, I'm good at what I do. I'd get another job, wouldn't I? Well, you think you would, but would you? You've no mm. idea. But you've always wanted to work for yourself, haven't you, for a while? You've tried, mm, is this your chance? So with a bit of pondering and wondering how long the money would last if I didn't get any work and, and calculations at home, I jumped. I went. Right. And I went to redundancy to begin to start my own business and become, as I called it then, change box communications. So in that step change, combine that on a very personal level with um, a, a healthy decision, but still a very big life change decision to um, separate from my husband, first husband. Right. Why don't you do the biggest things ever? Start a business and leave your marriage at the same time. Wow. (laughs) Um, 2011 was a rocky year. Mm -hmm. It tested me on all levels. But we're here, we came out of it, and I I started a business. I can proudly report that I had clients called Amnesty International, the Financial Conduct Authority. I actually had to pinch myself in the toilets, don't tell anybody this. But on my (laughs) first uh, training day that I did for the FCA training all their communicators there's a hundred of them there I um, mean how to do better communications I secretly went into the toilets pinched myself <laughs> and sort of, like give myself a good shake because I couldn't believe I had bagged you know a, a, a really significant amount of income who thought me little old me was gonna do you know it's my company my business um how exciting but scary at the same time that you know, is I, fantastic you know, <laughs> and been through a personal trauma as well um and on the day of doing the training andrew i left my new suit on the train as well so i had to do it in my jeans <laughs> um which really knocked me um as well Four oh, biggest step change i can report um yeah go single go director of a company with no work and a few yeah. quid in the bank from the redundancy money 
And then I ended up within 12 months with superb clients, great pedigree. And I try to be my own business. And I found out I prefer working for an organization. That's why I, I left it. You And you wouldn't know that unless you tried, would you? Yeah. 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 So, so what do you think you've learned about yourself as a person during your career? Well, I do know for sure, and I've said it a few times, uh, I adore standing in other people's shoes. Maybe that's why I've got about 70 pairs of my own, but uh, <laughs> I do. That is me. I can't help myself. It's an instinct. It's natural. I find it a challenge to understand why people wouldn't do that. So it's, I'm in the right job. I'm in the right career. I, I, it's the right thing to do. Uh, what do I find out about me? That I'm a team worker. Hence, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't choose to work for myself for very long. And I find management a lonely place to be. I really do enjoy, yes. you know, being part of something that's a collaboration. I, I really don't care about rank and structure now. Mm -hmm. That went through my first day at work. It soon got knocked out of me. Mm -hmm. It's who you're working with, not what they represent is important. So I found out that, that I do work phenomenally well with groups of people. I, I, that's my at my best. Yes. Um, yes. I love to have a laugh at work. <laughs> I know that about myself. Um, I don't like to be too serious if we can avoid it. But that's just me. So they're not groundbreaking statements, there, Andrew. They're very ordinary things I found out about myself. But they're important, aren't they? Because it, it all of those things you've said just tells you when you're in the right place, doing the right thing in the right way, and and you sort of fit your own skin in that those, those sorts of roles. So yeah, it, it feels really good when it's like that and it doesn't come every day of the week i've never always no. had my employer i've been in organizations which you know by the the brand reputation just for me working in capita was a tough gig um, for me myself is a commercially hungry company i was suited and booted it was formal it was angry and aggressive and i was a survivor there every day and i was proud of that but it wasn't my natural place to be no. but i'm proud to have it on my cv because um, it made me more commercially savvy. And is there anything you'd, sort of looking back, um, you'd want to do differently? Or do you think that from all the, the steps and on the journey, you've always learned something and, you know, it, it's part of the interest of uh, and the stretching and the developing that's, that's happened? The, the doing differently, I would always say, no, I, I have no regrets about the way it's gone partly mm -hmm. due to my you know my confident personal belief that the path is set um, mm -hmm. you can take the wrong steps occasionally so that was for me that is how it's meant to have been so yeah. um yes. this, is, this is what has come from it and i've learned every step of the way as well i adore telling people that you know i'm sector agnostic in marketing <laughs> yeah you know i'm not a finance expert i love the fact i've been in you know 10 or 11 different sectors I know something about from a charity to uh, the co-op as members to NNL. You know, I think I can hold a pretty good conversation around lots of different environments I've worked in. So actually, I'm probably really selfishly for a change, delighted to be even reflecting on it because it reminds me that actually, no regrets. That's good, isn't it? That's, that's lovely to say and, and to, to think that you've learnt and interacted with, with people uh, across so many different sectors as you say from the charitable sector to government to national labs to sharply commercial to running your own business um, what a wealth of experience you, you you've got it's fantastic and and given all of that if you then look back 
you know, to that suited and booted young woman going into the NHS, what, what would be your one piece of advice that you'd like to give her? Always ask more questions. I talk with people and I listen, but allow your curiosity to blossom. Mm. Just keep asking because you'll be surprised what it reveals from the other person. Have the confidence to keep asking questions, not just technical questions. How are you today? Do you have any children? You know, you know whatever it is, ask questions of people. Don't think they're time poor, that they don't want to speak to you just because you're younger or less experienced. How nice I find it now when maybe a less experienced person asks me a question about me. And it's human rather than marketing. Yes. <laughs> you know, just keep asking questions all the way through because we're humans and, you know, it's surprising what you'll find out about people. So, yeah, keep asking questions is, is probably the one thing. I, I really haven't got, you know, a golden, what's it called, a silver bullet, golden, um, I don't know what it's called, actually, whatever's golden. <laughs> um, but I think with reflection, uh, thinking about doing something like this is questions, elicit as i said the strangest of things about people that can be really interesting and insight and is tenuously linked but it was interesting um i I met i was in marrakesh before lockdown happened and Mm. i met two ladies who were in their 80s um two english ladies who spoke ever so well they all had the kind of accent i always wanted to have but my mum wouldn't pay for elocution lesson <laughs> so i'm intrigued by them they sound like they're from downton abbey we got to speak with them have a chat and one of the ladies left me uh, uh, she said I- i'll just want she said it's not advice of uh, darling i think she said just these are the four things that are important in life so i'm just going to share it now andrew because Thank it's you. not relevant my to my career but i'd never heard anybody and you may have done but put the mm. four in this order before and i certainly haven't put these together so she said before lockdown before even lockdown was being talked about you know mm. back in january freedom mm. your health love and water wow water causes so many problems in the world and as somebody now who's you know early 50s who would always say, you know, love's the most important thing. Um, even in my career, it's all about, you know, be kind, you know, all of those good yeah. things all through my career. But she put freedom at the top of the list and then only possibly a few months afterwards, we went into something that for once has made our freedom different, made me do my job slightly differently and made us think. So at different times in your life, over your career, on holiday or at work, you'll always meet people who'll tell you something, capture it somewhere, write it down, and go back to it in five years. Keep a little book or something. I have a little black book with all sorts of strange things in it. Um, so as well as asking questions, maybe keep a little note of what those, what you might call older people say to you. Because yes, it it's wise words, isn't it? Yeah. So even at my age, I thought, wow, I like you know the tone of that. And it made me think because I'd probably framed it slightly differently. Oh, well, that's lovely. Not sure, Andrew, but I just felt it was one of those things to capture. Think about any, any interaction you have in life can mean an awful lot when you least expect it. That's good. Well, look, Victoria, thank you so much for talking to us and being so open about your journey. And um, well, we'll look forward to asking lots of questions when we're all back in uh, in the office at some stage. Right, and I'll be wearing your shoes, Andrew. <laughs> and you'll be that. wearing your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you.